Hey everyone, welcome to the Relevant Church Weekly Podcast. We're so excited you've joined us today. We hope this message encourages you, inspires your heart, and strengthens your faith. Enjoy. Father God, I thank you so much for this great opportunity to be in your word, to be with your people, to download from your heart to our heart exactly what it is that you need for us to experience, to be, and to breathe in. Lord, I ask that you would um, uh, teach us today, open us up to what's possible in a, in a life that is so in tune and aligned with you. And God, as you're blessing us here at Relevant, I ask that you bless all the other churches that are preaching your word. We lift up Sandals Church, Harvest Christian Fellowship, the Grove Community Church, Rock Church, and Life Church and Cornerstone, Crossroads, Crossword, all the different churches in this community, Lord, that are doing such a great job. We ask that you would just bless them as you bless us here. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone shouts, amen, amen. Amen. If you would do me a favor and read with me Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, and then I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to go to to the Message Bible. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Don't, don't you all love that? Right? I think, I think the great theologian Tupac said, only God can judge me. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in, a, in, a, in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to one brother, let me see the, take out the speck in your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log in your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to see, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I, I love this passage because it's, it's one of those passages where I believe that Jesus is being funny. You may not know the, see the humor here, but, but, but um, uh, in, in today's world, it'd be like, you know, why are you staring at someone else's booger when you got a fat one? Okay, that's literally the language he's using there. Like, you know, uh, he's, he's talking about eye jammies. Some of y'all don't know what eye jammies are. But when you wake up, you know, like, you look like, oh, you got something on your eye. You're like, yeah, you got a big old loogie. <laughs> a log hanging from your eye. And so I, I want us to take a look at how the message, Eugene P- Patterson did a great job. If you can give me the uh, the, the, the um, uh, message Bible version, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your own neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Sometimes Eugene has a way of just snapping on the scriptures, amen? <laughs> We're talking about blind spots. And and what what, what Jesus is talking about is is that the same measure that you use on other people is the measure that will be used against you. 
Oh yeah, I was. <laughs> we were we were walking in in Miami one time. Uh, I'd gone out there uh, speaking at a conference, and afterwards we we're like, hey, let's let's go check out um, South Beach. And uh, so we're walking down South Beach, and South Beach is a whole experience. It, it makes Las Vegas look like a church. So we're walking, and, and there are these group of ladies, and, and they're having a good time, and, and they're doing this thing, I, I think it's called, it, 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 it's not hot or not, I think it's smash or not, I don't know what it was. And, and as we're walking by, they're judging us, oh, definitely, and I'm like, what's happening right now? How is it that you're judging me, like, on the character? I mean, I was, I was, I was befuddled, like, like, wow, like, People do this, like they measure and they cast judgments on what a person is on outward appearance. On what kind of shoes you're wearing, what kind of shirt you're wearing. And, and, and here's the thing about it, you can say, well, that's not me. No, no, that, that is you. We, we all do it. We all do it. If you, if you have an Instagram, you've been doing it all week. If you have a TikTok, you've been doing it all, all week. If you are on social media, you're, it, it's as if social media was a gift given to humanity to judge other people. <laughs> right. I've, I've never seen a post or a comment on social media where it says, man, your post completely shifted the way I think. And I am now open up to a new world of possibilities of looking at things differently because of your one post said no one ever. <laughs> right? But Jesus is like the measure of grace, the measure of kindness, the benefit of doubt that you give others is the same amount that you'll receive yourself. In other words, God is really, really interested. Listen to me. God is really, really interested in how you look at people. God takes special interest in how you look at people, how you measure them, how you dress them down, how you, how you, what you think about them, how you criticize them, how you look at their situation, their station in life, and how you size them up. He's interested in that because the economy of heaven is what? People. The economy of heaven is people. People. What matters to God is not Versace or, or, or whatever it is that you may think is important that people put on. What matters to him is the soul of a person. And if you see the soul of a person. But what he's saying in Matthew chapter 7 is um, he really wants you to take a look at yourself first. He really wants you to, to, to take invested interest in looking at yourself and your own life first. Uh, it, it will tenor your approach to other people if you look at yourself critically first. If you take a moment and say, you know what, before I say this about their hair, let me think about my own hair. Before I say this about their weight loss or their weight gain, let me take a look at my eating habits. Let me take a look at my, my genetics. Let me take a look at my, my thing before I look at their stretch marks. Before I look at whatever is going, before I look at their car, before I look at their 
what, whatever's going on in their life, let me take a look at my own situation first. Because here's the thing about it. If you don't take that approach with other people, you are living and breathing and walking in the spirit of the Pharisees. The Pharisees would look at people's lives and pick them apart. All these poor sinners, these peasants, if only they were like us. Isn't it strange, Dr. Matt, that, 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 that God doesn't give a dang about how much scriptural knowledge people have? There's not, not, not one verse in the King James or the San Bernardino version that says, and you shall know them by how they quote scripture. And you'll know that they're my disciples based on how much they shabba do. Some of y'all like, what's Shabbat do? Baptist, come on get, on, get on board here. We're judging you right now. <laughs> we'll, know, we'll know that you are truly my disciples and, 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 and all these things based on how you come to church, how you dress, how you, how you come to the altar, how, how sincere your worship looks. No, he doesn't say, there's not one verse, Rod, that looks like that. The only thing I see Jesus talking about is, how did you treat my kids? How did you treat people? How did you look at people? How did you receive people? How did you love on people? Because he's only interested in people. Are we together? The Pharisees would look at people, pick them apart without ever looking at themselves. If they looked at themselves, it was only to, to measure and to judge how much better they're doing off than other people. I'm so glad that I'm in a church that doesn't do that. I'm so glad that I don't hang out with people that, 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 that measure their station in life based on how their cousin's doing. Or the, their, their friends are doing. Or people down they, that they grew up with are doing. Hello? Yeah. Oh, man. Comparison. Comparison. Yeah. I'm not comparing or anything. I'm just saying that, like, I should have known better. Like, Gabby, why don't they have common sense? <laughs> do, do you know what common sense is? Common sense is only common once you've made the mistake the first time. Right? The first time, it's like, oh, I didn't know. Now it's common. Don't touch the stove. <laughs> and this was so prevalent back then, this, this way of judging, these Pharisees would judge people. It was so prevalent. It was so, 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 so widespread back then. And it is so prevalent now. It's so prevalent in our culture. It's prevalent in the church. There are churches that, I, I like to call them, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later, I'll, I'll say that for later. But there's certain um, uh, environments that are so filled with this. And it's, it's become the dominant, hello, the dominant culture of today. Why? Because everyone knows of cancel culture. Cancel culture is nothing more than modern day Phariseeism. Well, I can't, we can't follow that person anymore. Did you, did you hear what they said about those people? I was, I was telling a friend the other day, we were having a discussion, and, and I told him, I was like, listen, 
Eminem, the great white hope of emceeing. <laughs> one of the baddest rappers, the, one of the best. Even the, your top five, if your top five does not include Eminem, your, your, your rappers on your top five list think he's the best. It's been proven. I would argue against it, but I'm still going to agree. We're talking about Eminem, and I was like, let, let me tell you something about Eminem. I grew up when Eminem was not popular, when he was just a backpack rapper, when he was still on 8 Mile. We would listen to his mixtapes. And, and he, was, he was nice. He was, he, was, he was nice back then. He, he might have been even nicer back then because he was hungry and broke. But I remember him. And, and, and then when he, when he came out uh, uh, with, with his commercial albums, he, he kind of switched up his style a little bit because he knew that he needed to, to bring in um, uh, Timmy in Kansas City or, or somewhere in the, in the middle of America to fully buy into what he was doing. So he came out with songs like Stan and, and talked about his mom in ways that no other rapper has ever talked about their mama. And he talked about everybody. There was not anyone safe. If there is a rapper that's willing to have a diss song, a diss track against Mariah Carey, come on. <laughs> Who's going to be mad at Mariah Carey? The best Christmas song is by Mariah Carey. <laughs> but here's Eminem talking about Mariah. Vision of love, Mariah. You don't talk about Mama Mariah like that. <laughs> Even the lights want to take a moment of silence. <laughs> but here's Eminem. He, he, he went at her. And, and I, said, I said to my friend, I said, listen, if Eminem was to come out in 2017, he would have been canceled. Would have never heard of him. Because the things that he was saying back then, it was, it was shocking. It was, it was all this and that. But the thing is that to, in today's world, because of the rise of cancer culture and how we judge people on their mistakes, you can't be this person because in 1992, you said this. The tapes have resurfaced. Mike, just look at Eminem's catalog. Just cancel him today if you're going to take that measure. Are you, are you guys with me? Are you following me? Cancel culture has forensic insight about everyone else's mistake when most of us, listen to me, we, we have forensic insight on everyone else's mistake when most of us are living the full-grown version of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be hard today. Actually, the next few weeks are going to be hard. Come to church with a helmet next week. <laughs> a helmet and a seatbelt. We don't want you jumping up trying to fight nobody, you know. We, are, we, we, we live in the, in the grown-up version of the mistakes that we judge other people for. And here's what happens. The specks unaddressed grow up into planks and logs. So what we have to do is we need to commit, everyone say commit, commit. to looking at yourself, because you need to look at yourself first. The great theologian Michael Jackson said, I'm looking at the man. 
But wait, he's canceled, so let's not talk about that. So let's start with the man in the mirror. The same people that you criticize this year, or the same people who are criticizing someone this year, will be the ones who will be condemned next year. Because it's been proven that after time, everyone's ish shows up. Are you with me? If we were to look at ourselves first, I think that it would, it, it would, it would give us a guidance for relational health. We'd get along with each other better. We'd love each other better. We, we wouldn't point at people. We, 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 we would self-correct ourselves. Our, our behaviors would be self-corrected because before I even spoke about this to this person, I fixed myself and all of a sudden what I was having a problem with them was, is no longer a problem with me because I fixed myself. Trying to change people, change yourself first. Change your vision first. Change how you're seeing the situation first. If we did, I believe that we would be more gracious. People would feel, people, and here's the thing about it. If we, if we still had to speak into someone's issue, after we had taken a moment to self-reflect on our own issues, I believe that when you did speak into someone else's issue, they would feel helped and not corrected. There's a difference. How many of y'all love being corrected? Oh, I'm just, I wake up in the morning and say, I can't wait to be corrected today. I want people to correct me everywhere I go on to be corrected. Nobody likes to be corrected, but everyone loves being helped. That was helpful. It was helpful. And I'm tempted to say this, so I'll say it anyways. Sometimes some of you have been in environments where people have been helping you so much that you don't even respect the measure of love and grace and care that they put around you, that they poured into you, that you take it for granted. They could have corrected you like your last church. Taking you to the front. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jesus is my Savior. And, and Belima is the bishop in this house. Come on. It, it, it's, 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 it's so wild. I've, I've been in situations where, where, where folks are literally taken to the front and the elders are brought to the front. And then everyone has said, we'd like to present to you this woman who has been caught having been pregnant out of wedlock. And so for the next six months, she'll be sat down. Hello, anybody been there before? I've been there. They were corrected. And they were corrected right out of the church. So when you're in an environment where you're being helped, honor that. Because it could go a whole different way. Are you with me? Come on. Say, I came to church to be helped. 
People would feel helped and not corrected. But we're so into pointing fingers. You did this. You did that. I can't believe you made this mistake. I can't believe you. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe that. I can't believe that you you did this. You you really need to do this. And, and the other day I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, listen, um, uh, bro, check it out. I grew up with you. I grew up with you, and you're mad at your teenage sons. And, and, and I'm like, you're mad at your teenage sons for doing this when Negro, we did it too. <laughs> and we did it in a way that, that we couldn't get caught because there, no, there, no, there was no YouTube back then. There was no Instagram. There was no evidence. You'd be in jail right now <laughs> if the tapes were to resurface. And he's like, yeah, but they don't know that. <laughs> they don't know that. I'm like, bro, I think, I think that as, 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 as parents, as, as people who are leaders and leading other people, I think we'll do a better service to other people if we just started off with saying, hey, I'm in trouble just the same way you're in trouble. I've been trying to figure this out the same way you've been trying to figure this out. As a matter of fact, I dealt with this for seven years. Let me tell you something. Man, in church, people get so excited about overcoming. Hello, somebody. Like, oh, we, I, I overcame this, this thing, man. Like, 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 I prayed for it, and immediately God took it away from me. Let me tell you something. The thing that you find or you, that you're able to overcome quickly was never your enemy. The thing that's so easy for you to get over was never a stronghold. There's some ish out there that you struggle with all your life. That's your real enemy. That's the real speck, the real log, the real plank that you have to deal with in your life. And chances are it's the one thing that you're never willing to speak to anyone about. I'm going to keep this one under wraps. Like, oh, if they knew about this, if they, if they ever heard about this side of me, Get into the spirit of Pharisees, and that spirit keeps other people small in your life. It blames them. It creates victims. It puts fault at everyone else. Do, do you ever, do you, any of y'all have someone in your life that is obsessing about a mistake that you made? Like, like how does that make you feel like? They're obsessing about this one thing. It's like, it's like that one thing that they, they get to hold on to. Well, last year you did this, and I'm not over it. I've forgiven you. I have. But forgiveness does not mean I have to forget. I've forgiven you, but I'm still going to hold you responsible for my pain my hurt, my shame, my anger, and they keep you small, keep you in prison, obsessing over that one mistake. It's like the kettle calling the pot black. I have another way of saying that, but I won't, I won't say it in church. It's like the kettle calling the, the pot black. And, and, and I've always, I've struggled with that, that statement for, me, for years. Like, why, 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 does, why does the kettle have to be black? Why can't the kettle be white? Make it a race issue. <laughs> Must have been a white guy who started this whole saying. Just saying. 
but back, and, and, and everyone's heard the kettle calling the, the pot black, right? And, and the thing about it is it comes from back in the day when um, uh, people used to actually cook on stoves. Okay? <clears throat> not, not microwave dinners or before the days of DoorDash and Uber Eats. People actually had to cook. So, so what would happen is that they, um, uh, the, the, the bottom of the kettle would turn black because of the heat from the, from the stove. And, and, and the same thing would happen in the pot and the kettle. And so when, the problem with the, the pot and the kettle is, is like the problem that, that you and I have. None of us can see our bottoms. <laughs> and so we don't know that it's black. I've solved it. That's the thing about it. Neither of them could see their bottoms. And, and here's what I've discovered. I'm, this was for free. This wasn't even in the part of the sermon. Those of you that lead, those of you that lead, and those of you that follow leaders, the thing about leadership is that you will always be judged more than the people that, are, that you're leading. Why? Because when you're leading someone, chances are you're trying to take them to a higher perspective, a higher view, to see a vision. And so they're following behind you. But if they're following behind you while you're climbing up the ladder, what are they seeing most? Constantly exposed. Are we together this morning? So, so, so there are three, three perspectives that each of us have that we, we, we will be unpacking. Today's just an introduction. The next few weeks, we'll be dealing with this sermon series called Blind Spots, and we'll be unpacking this. It's going to be surgical. It's going to be painful. But I promise you that if you stick with it and apply it, you'll come out on the other side living in possibility. Can we, can, we, can we ride together for the next few weeks? Okay, let's do this thing. So there's three perspectives. When, when you think about yourself, when you think about me, three perspectives. How many? There are actually more than three, but I'm only going to give you three. There's more than three, but, but, but we're going to deal with three in this moment. The first perspective is what we know about you, what people know about you. So if we were to go down the row here, I'd see Rich over there and say, oh, Rich, he ran for mayor of Riverside. Rich drives a red, a red convertible. That's, how, that's who Rich is. Rich likes old school rap. Pretty much those that know Rich could speak about that and say, yes, that's true that you're talking about Rich. If we go to Pastor Scott, I'd say, oh, Pastor Scott is bald. He started balding at the age of 14. In junior high, his hairline started receding. <laughs> Poor man. Bosley couldn't help him as a teenager. <laughs> He's also a New England um, uh, Patriots fan. I'm sorry. That's his only thing that's keeping him out of heaven. <laughs> we'll go down the line. Ursel. Ursel's a funny guy. He takes pictures, takes amazing pictures. He's also doing this thing where, where he's sharing people how he shred over 125 pounds in the last year alone. While everybody gained COVID-19 pounds. He lost 123 pounds. Wow. And we're inspired by that. 
So there's this view of like of how people speak about you because what they know about you, the public version of you, what is spoken about you when you aren't around that everyone can agree with. Are we together on that? Then there's the you that only you know about. The private you. And here's the thing about it. Every single person is allowed to have a private you. Okay? It's okay to have a private you. Some people don't understand the power of the private you. <laughs> we all know someone who overshares. You just met them, and they're like, oh, my God, let me tell you my whole story. When I was 18, and then when I was 24, and this is my fifth husband. And I'm in a relationship right now, and I'm doing this. He's so stupid. And they're just going on and on and on and on and on. And you're just sitting there like, oh, my God, pass the popcorn. Come on. This is better than Lifetime. This is better than scrolling on Instagram. This is better than Facebook. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And they feel great that they are able to speak their mind. And they're like, oh, my God, you're such a great listener. I love speaking to you. Oh my gosh. You, you just, I just felt no judgment when you were talking. I was talking to you and they're just going on and on and you're just sitting there like, thank, thank you. And they leave feeling relieved that they got it off their mind, their chest and found a friend. And you go home and this is you at night laying in bed. I don't ever want to be caught in the same room with that person. <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Keep looking straight at me because the person I'm talking about might be in your row. (laughs) And if you're wondering, am I an oversharer? Chances are you are. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Keep wondering, like, I always, like, you find yourself in a situation where you're like, relationships, like, I can meet people and we we go deep really fast and then I never hear from them again. You're an oversharer. You probably didn't even listen to them. You, you said way too much, way too soon in the wrong context. Am I helping you at all? No, some of you are like, no. You're explaining why people do not like me. <laughs> Told you it was going to be painful. <laughs> you should have a private version of you. A version that is mysterious, a version that, that allows others to discover through their curiosity. Allow people to become curious about you. Oh, my God, this is good stuff. Oh, I brought my own amen in my pocket. Thank you. Whew. Allow others to become what? Curious. curious about you. Dang, I'm helping somebody out right now. All my single ladies, all my single guys. Allow others to become what? Praise the Lord. The other, the other day I was discussing with a close friend um, uh, the theology of the Twilight Saga. It was a random conversation. But I, but I told them how I ticked off some, some friends of mine some years ago because I told them that girls like them will never get Edwards. My wife is looking at me, she's like, yes, I remember that. They left the church and never came back, praise God. (laughs) That's when I was a 
potty mouth pastor and I've changed my way since. <laughs> next week, uh, it starts next week, sorry. You're right. So, so listen, listen. In, in the movie Twilight, there was a girl named Bella and Edward the vampire. And then you had Jacob, who I actually met in real life. Nice guy. I told, first thing I said to him was, I'm glad you're wearing a shirt. <laughs> but um, uh, my friend said, said to me, the thing that made Edward intrigued about Bella was that he could not read her mind. And he had to be what? Curious. That was for free. You don't have to give an offering for that one. just wanted to help you all out. Allow yourself to have a private version of you that allows others to be curious about and discover through conversation and relationship. Are we together? I'm not saying hide your stuff. I'm not saying that. You need to become vulnerable to the right people. To the right people. Amen? The third version, <clears throat> the third perspective, is what others know about you that you don't know about you. What others know about you that you don't know about you. And this is where you have a blind spot. Everyone else knows this about you. Everyone else can see it. Everyone else can hear it. Everyone else has experienced it. But you are so unaware of it because it is in your blind spot. A clear example, I have many, many examples of, 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 of this happening in, in my life and, and in other people's lives, more in other people's lives because I see them. <laughs> I'm the person who likes to go to Walmart when I'm bored, which is very rare, but I'll go there and just look at people like, did they know that they walked out of the house like that? <laughs> were, they, were they aware? Were they aware? I travel a lot, so I'm at airports a lot. And sometimes people will come to the airport, I'm like, were they aware that they just walked, rolled out of bed? Are they aware that, that that's showing? All of it. All, all of it is showing. All of it is showing. Please, somebody gouge my eyes out, for I have seen. What other people know about you but you don't know about yourself. These are blind spots. American Idol. How many of y'all like, I loved watching American Idol just the first few episodes. So, you know, once you get to the singers, like, okay, they can sing. But what I loved to watch was the people who couldn't sing, but thought they could sing. Where are you from? Topeka, Kansas. And how long have you been singing? I've been singing all my life. All my life I've been singing. I just love singing. Everywhere I go, I be singing. And everyone says, I should really try out. So, so my supporters are here with me, my fans. Ah! Those people who hate me have brought me here to sing for you. What song will you be singing? I'll be singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And then they start singing. It's like, holy smoke. Who lied to these people? 
Everyone from William Hung? All these people. It's like, who told you that you are gifted and talented in this way? Everyone else knew. But you didn't get the memo. Are you with me? If you're taking notes, write this down. Blind spots are structural. What did I say? Blind spots are structural. You can't see blind spots. And if you don't know what you don't know, you will never know that they're there. Are you, are you with me? You'll go through life wondering, why do you have trouble and turbulence in relationships? You'll go through life wondering, why is it? Why is it that you've dated and married the same man five times? The same individual keeps showing up in your life, the same type of person, the same type of treatment. Because you have a structural blind spot that, you, that does not allow you to see. You can look, but not see. Are, are we together? Go through life experiencing the same drama in relationships, experiencing the same drama in business, experiencing the same drama church after church. I meet people all the time. Well, this, this is, oh, is going to be good. This is therapy for me. People all the time talk about, like, you know, church hurt. You know, church hurt is real. You know, they have just been hurt by the church. Now, now, if you're a part of a cult, you get a free pass on this. But for the rest of us, I want to say this. Most of us who've experienced church hurt experienced our blind spot. But we did not recognize it. And so what will happen is this, that they'll say, oh, yeah, I was at Harvest for some years, and then, you know, just, I started serving over there, and then they just, you know, took me out of service for no reason. And then, and then I went to the Grove, and the same thing happened over there. Now, now I'm here at Relevant, ready to serve. So I love your band. You said, no perfect people allowed. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, there is a pattern that has not been addressed. And we are here to help you because you couldn't stand correction. <laughs> oh, man. But if you're unwilling to receive the help, we'll help you to the door. Praise God. <laughs> the thing is this, that if you were to think of a car and... Uh, When you're learning how to drive, you're, you're taught about blind spots in a car. I um, uh, recently had the, the worst scare of my life. We're in Michigan, and I, I had a tight window. I had to preach at Relevant Niles, but I had to get back to my parents for a family meeting. And I had a limited amount of time. I had to get off the stage and get in the car get my two boys from, from, from kids ministry over there and get in my car. So I get in my car and I'm like, we gotta get, we gotta get home. We gotta get home, get, get to the family meeting. They're, they're already, my parents are texting me, where are you, where are you? I, we told you you'd preach too long. We knew this would happen. I'm like, you're not wrong. There's a way that people, everyone else sees it.
far as I'm concerned, I was right on time. <laughs> so I get in the car. We're in South Bend, Indiana, and I get in the car, and, and my, my boys are in the back seat, Zion and Jazz, and I'm like, let me get out of this place. And so I pull out, and I notice it's a one-way street, so I have to go around to the other side. So I get around to the other side, and, and, and I start driving, and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, I gotta get out of here. And as I start crossing the intersection, a car appears out of nowhere. It's as if it has teleported onto the road. And he's about to hit me. And we both do veer off of the road together to avoid collision. He stops his car, I stop my car. My kids are like completely like, Daddy, don't drive so fast. That was weird. They don't even know what's happening. I get out of the car, and I'm thinking, Pauline would have killed me today. If I had died in this accident, she would have revived me to kill me again. <laughs> I get out of the car, and the gentleman who was in his, gets out of his car, and he looks at me, he's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't see you. He's like, you didn't see me, I was right here. In the implicit, the implied uh, statement in I didn't see you is me saying you should have been looking out for me. I want that to sink in. I didn't see you is saying it's your responsibility to be looking out for me. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I, 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 my bad. I looked, but I, I, I didn't see you. He's like, what's wrong with you? I'm right here. And you've got your babies in the car. I got my babies in my car, too. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Blind spots. Blind spots. And the thing about blind spots in a vehicle is that not every vehicle is the same. The blind spots in a Honda are not the same as the blind spots in a BMW. The blind spots in a BMW are not the same blind spots in a Jeep Cherokee. Are we together? Every vehicle has its own structural, did I say this? Blind spots are what? Structural. They're in the structure of the thing. Most of us have never stepped back from the vehicle of our life to inspect the structural blind spots that exist based on our social conditioning. Are we together? Blind spots let you look, but they don't let you see. And when you have them, you'll always be looking, but never seeing. What I want to let you know is this. Are you ready for it? Take this in. You are not to blame for your blind spots. You are not to blame for your blind spots until you know about them. You are not to blame for your blind spots, but you become responsible once you know about them. And once you know about them, listen to me. Pay attention to me right now, people. I'm being dead serious right now. Once you know about your blind spots... It's not your responsibility to try to get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah, we're, getting, we're losing our religion today. 
It is not your responsibility to try to get rid of your blind spot. It is a structural thing in the vehicle of your life. Understand that. Most people are like, oh, get rid of your blind spots. I got rid of my blind spots. I don't see that anymore. Shut up. You're being a Pharisee because everyone else can see it. Okay? So, 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 so what, what, what you have to do is understand that my blind spots are structural. They are there. They, they, they come because of my upbringing. They come, they're, they're in my life because of my culture, my, my belief system, the mindsets that I've developed throughout the years, my education, my economic background. All these things have contributed to my, the structural blind spots that I experience. They're there. And, and it's not my responsibility or anyone else's responsibility to try to get rid of them. They just have, you just have to be aware that I have them. And then learn how to manage them. Are we, are we together? Am I, am I helping you? You got them from church. You got them from politics. Where'd you get your politics from? Most of you did not develop them yourself. They were handed down. Your daddy was a Democrat. Your granddaddy was a Democrat. And you're going to be a Democrat. The church you attended was Republican. And the pastor was Republican. Your daddy was Republican. And... Trump 2024. <laughs> and that perspective creates a, a structural blind spot that won't allow you to see someone who thinks different. Sheesh, Pastor Scott, I'm helping people understand 2020 right now. I'm just trying to, just trying to help you understand this. I'm not racist, I don't see color. Negro, <laughs> you're the most racist person I've ever, everyone else sees it. <laughs> My God, man. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble on, 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 on this Sunday. It's only September 19. <laughs> I was in Atlanta a few weeks ago. And uh, landed in Atlanta, but had to drive two hours into Georgia. When you leave Atlanta, you experience something different in Georgia. Georgia is the South, the deep South. So we're driving. I was meeting with a manufacturer of cosmetics, and these people, they ship out hundreds of thousands of products per day, and I'm looking to develop a business relationship with them. So I'm, I'm there with my friend Emron, who is from Pakistan. And, and me and our ongoing joke is, who's blacker, the Pakistanis or the Africans? <laughs> and he's like, we're the original black people. What kind of curry do your people have? I'm like, I, I, bro, how do, how do we get into this argument about curry and, and, and our blackness? I'm like, I'm blacker than you. He's like, oh, no, no, my cousin. If you saw my cousin, my cousin's way darker skin than you. Why do they call you blacks and call, call me Indian? But you're Paki. I know, but people still call me Indian. <laughs> so we're talking all this stuff. We're talking race and all these things. And, and we're driving into Georgia. And I'm seeing Georgia. And I'm like, I'm in Georgia, y'all. <laughs> and we get to the town where the manufacturing plant is. And it's one of those towns that all my life 
I have been told, if you ever find yourself in a town like this, turn around and drive the opposite direction. The Dukes of Hazard was based on the town that I was in. I, I swear I saw Boss Hogg driving down the street when I got into town. Now, for some of you, this might have been just like, what's wrong with that, Boss Hogg? And the General E. Like, it's perfectly fine if, you, if, if that's your context, that that's okay. But for me, driving into this town in Georgia with Boss Hogg driving down the street with me, I'm a little bit nervous. So I look at, I look at Emron, I'm like, Emron, you're, you're Pakistani. I've never heard of any history of Pakistanis being brought over to this country. But my people were brought here to work in these fields. So we pull up to the manufacturing plant, and this little white lady looks out the window. She looks out the window, she sees us, and we're a little bit early, so we're still getting our stuff together. And I see her, and I'm like, dude, she's looking, that lady's looking at us. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I know what's happening right now. They've already called the boys. <laughs> Hello, we got, we got two, we've got two of them <laughs> parked right out front right now. That's what I'm seeing. <laughs> then she gets up, and I'm watching this whole thing. She gets up and goes to the locks on the doors. There are two doors. There's one on one side of the office and the other office, like two suites. The place had two suites. And she goes and she messes with the lock while she's looking at us, right? Then she goes to the other one, does the same thing. And I'm like, she's locking the doors. I'm like, Emron, we need to turn around. Like, like I don't know what's going to happen right now. And I've got all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of things going on in my head. After a few minutes, another lady w opens the door, walks out and says, we, we unlocked the doors for you. Y'all are welcome to come on in whenever you get a chance. And I'm like, oh, she was unlocking the doors, not locking the doors. She was calling her assistant to come to tell us to welcome us in and not calling Boss Hog. <laughs> It's funny how that whole experience exposed a blind spot in me, but also there's a blind spot that she has too concerning what my experience of her is. Are you with me? I'm creating racism. She's trying to create hospitality. How many conflicts look like that in your life? And here's the thing about that. That structure of a blind spot was not something that I made up. It was created by my upbringing, culture, church, social conditioning, watching way too many TV shows, and, and all those things created that structure. I can't change that. I'll be 60 years old and still be thinking in terms of that, but I can manage it and say, Jonathan, take a moment. Are you creating something that's not there? Or are you going to look in the blind spot? Are you going to look and try to see, or are you just going to look and not see? So you can restructure. And, 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 and today I'm not talking about restructuring. I'm just talking about, I'm just going to leave it at, at this. The, the blind spots are there. They're structural. Okay? 
Some of us have restructured because of an experience or something. That does happen, but that's not for today's message. Today, I just want, at least at the lowest common denominator, allow you over the next few weeks to learn how to manage them so you can navigate through life better. Know which blind spots can cause a collision in your life. Which blind spots can cause a what? A collision in your life. Become aware of the potential collisions in your life. A couple years ago, I, I, I bought a car. It was a, it was a bucket list car for me. And um, got a killer deal on it. And that's me trying to be, you know, minimize God's praise. No, it was a, a great gift into my life. And so <clears throat> when I bought this car, what I realized about it is that it does not have a bumper. It just has a front end. I had to replace that front end five times within the first three months. My wife's looking at me right now. She's like, yes, I remember. Five times. I cracked the bump because here's the thing about it. The car sits on airbags, and so when you drive at certain speeds, it will lower. And you have to, you know, and so it lowers, and when it lowers, it becomes lower than the, the, the parking curbs that, you, you know, most cars drive over those things, right? But this car, every time I'd park, and it has a longer front end. It has a longer front end because the engine block is, is, is a double tw- 12 engine. It's, it's a big engine block. It's, it's fast. O- Officer Overturf has driven it. He enjoys driving that car. It's long, and so what happens is that whenever you park, you can't necessarily see if you're used to driving. At that point, I was used to driving a BMW, which has a shorter front end. So I'd pull into parking spots, and sure enough, it'd be like it'd go like this. Bang. I'm like, dang it, it happened again. No, it didn't happen. Let me back out, and I'm gonna go see. And all it's gonna look like is a minor scratch. No, it'd be a full-on crack. Could a crack? Paint chipped and everything. I'm like, I can't drive around in this car with that there. It's an eyesore. So I have to go get it fixed. You know how much it costs to fix the front end? Five times. That's why you find good friends who are willing to do the work. Amen. Five times. I can't change the car. I can't change the structure of that front end. Are you with me? But I can change how I drive the car. I can change how I do what? How I drive the car. Most people do not know that they have consistent RBF on their face. It's a true story. Like they have, they have no idea. I wonder why. Is, why are people always just like rude to me? Well, you walk around like this all the time. That's chronic RBF. Some of you are like, what's RBF? Resting bad face. 
reason why I bring this up is because several years ago, we, we used to, I used to um, uh, work with a worship team and at my previous church. I won't say it's this church. I was working with the worship team, and one of the worship leaders had, had like, you know, gifted singer, musician, amazing voice. I asked her, I was like, have you ever watched videos of yourself leading worship? Like, no. I'm like, when you lead worship, it's as if you're so sad to be leading worship. It's as if God has, has hurt you. And I'm like, why would you ever say that? I was like, today, at, we're, when we're in worship, I was, I was watching you, and I was like, man, there's no life at all in you. This was her face. How could you say that? I was so in the zone with the Lord. If you knew the week I had, I, I came and I gave him my, my praise offering. I was like, let's go watch today's service. So we went into the media room and I turned on the worship. And she's like, you're right. I look like I'm so angry. Some of you have, are experiencing life on the inside, but you've forgotten to inform your face that you're happy and have joy. We live on the inside not knowing how to show up, and, 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 and that creates a blind spot in how people also receive us. Are you with me? And I, I, I say that because I'm, I, I'm, I'm a card-carrying member of RBF Club. My mentor, when I was coming of age, my mentor, Bobby Mitchell, he, he had me do this exercise. He says, Jonathan, most people look at you and they feel like you're mad all the time. I'm like, well, I've been listening to Ice Cube and NWA most of my life, and so, of course. <laughs> Just how, I mean, like this, we were trained to kind of approach situations like this. So I'd walk into rooms like this, like, What up, though? <laughs> so Bobby was like, listen, I want you to go to the mall, and I want you to walk around, and every single person that you see, I want you to just smile really, 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 really big at them. I was like, why? Because your face does not look happy. <laughs> it doesn't look like you want to make any difference or make any money at all. Looks like you want to rob me. So for like a whole week, I had to go to the mall, University Park Mall, South Bend, Indiana, and just like smile at people, hey, hi. He's <laughs> like, what's happening? The Bible's like, so what's happening? What, you, what are you experiencing when you do that? So people smile back at me. Yeah, exactly. If you mean mug them, they'll mean mug you back. If you smile at them, they'll smile back. It's a funny thing, a little secret. People will think you're a celebrity if you smile at them. I've had that happen, too. I get on a plane, I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Like, who, who is that guy? Is he on some TV show? Like, hey, hey. Just try it. Just try it this way. Go to, go to a place, go to a restaurant, and just, like, randomly just look at people and just wave. Like, hey, how are you? 
You guys having a good, enjoying your meal? Awesome. You guys, you guys are cute. As they're leaving, they'll make sure to come to you and say, hey, have a good one. Good seeing you. We'll see you next time. Folks will be saying, how do you network? How do you know so many people? I don't. I pretend at first. Then they feel as if they know me. Are you with me? Leadership is about, blind, is about making decisions, and decisions have to be as blind spot free as possible. So to, every one of us are in a form of leadership or, or of, of, of another. Every one of us is leading something. To make good decisions as a leader, you must surround yourself with people who also have blind spots, just not the same ones you do. Are you with me? Who see things from a different vehicle than you do, so their structural blind spot is not the same as yours. The problem, ooh, let's talk about the problem. The problem with social media is that the social media algorithms will only serve you people who think like you because it studies your behavior. And then all of a sudden, you'll start to think that everyone thinks the same way that I think. No, shut up, dummy. Go and like some pages that are not like yours so you can get a clearer perspective and better news. All my friends think this way. No, they're, they're, your friends don't even respect you. They're, they love you, but they don't respect you. Get yourself around people that you respect and look up to instead of always around people who look at the same level as you do because you will not see what's on the other side of the horizon. Are you with me? Surround yourself with people that will look up to you. It's funny how people who are looking up to you can teach you something. So, am I out of time? I'm out of time. I'm out of time. <laughs> I'll end on this. There's two, things, two ways that blind spots behave. Sometimes blind spots will drop from your head and they'll drop into your feeling. And then now your emotional experience becomes one that is based on emotional blind spots. Being hurt over things that have no basis on what actually happened. Living life based on someone else's trauma because the feeling was transferred to you. We're going to talk about that in the next coming few weeks. We're going to hit them all. At first, I thought I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to do this series on blind spots, and I'm going to make it really easy and just, like, really encourage the people. Then I was like, no, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm a slapper. I slap people in the name of Jesus. So, so, so we're going to go in the paint with this. We're going to go deep. We're going to talk about uh, um, uh, relational blind spots. We're going to talk about emotional blind spots. We'll talk about racial blind spots. We're going to talk about political blind spots. We're going to talk about financial blind spots and really, really interact with all of this. But one of the ways that, that we create the greatest blind spots is through familiarity. Through familiarity. As a preacher, I sometimes, you know, like feel bad for myself. I'm like, why is it that I, I preach a good message at my church and my church is like, good word today, pastor. Then I take the same message across the country somewhere else and it's standing ovations, people crying, 
chasing me to my car. Oh, my God, you just changed my life. What's wrong? I'm like, yeah, it's because they're familiar, and these people are just ready to receive. And I was like, wow. But this happened to Jesus. Jesus' first sermon in his hometown, the people wanted to stone him. Like, aren't you Joseph's son? Who gives you the right to talk to us like this? One time Jesus was at a party, and, and um, while he was at the party, a woman who he had healed and, and, and restored and, and brought so much joy to her life took an expensive flask of, of perfume and oil, and, and she poured it on his feet to wash his feet with this oil and anointed him. And his disciples, who had been hanging with him for three and a half years, were like, that's a waste. Because they were, un, they, were, they were familiar with him, but had not interacted with how he had helped someone. And they could not fathom the gratefulness of this person's praise offering. Because they had become familiar. Most Christians create blind spots in their faith because they become too familiar with their church. They become too familiar with their pastor. They become too familiar with their, with their, with their God. And, 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 and this happens all the time. Like, like someone will come to y'all, most of y'all save people, and say, oh, man, you, had, you, you not understand. God saved me last night. I, I, he, he loves me. And I'm so grateful. And you're like, that, that's nice. Uh-huh. Okay, all right, I'm moving right along. He's a forgiving God. As if your salvation was just a small deal. One of the ways we manage the blind spot of faith is never becoming familiar, too familiar with what God has done in your life. Go back and, and, and get in the wonder of it again. And I'll give you a Jonathan Belima hack. I start off by pretending to be excited. I know, you're like, what? Yeah, I start off by pretending to be excited. I, I am the most grumpiest individual you'll meet. My wife, not so much, but me, grumpy. She'll tell you he's grumpy. My son, Zion, takes after me, grumpy. Jazz, happy, like his mom. Zion, grumpy, like his dad. We don't know about Zara and Justice yet. Might be a good blend. But for me to, to like get into a, sp- a zone of worship, sometimes it's just like, man, I don't know if I even like these chord progressions. These lyrics do not make sense. He, the writer of this song was definitely emo. He probably did shrooms before they wrote this song. It was probably on ecstasy and God saved them through it. Because you don't get that vulnerable. Oh, the ever-ending. It might as well be a country song. That's what goes on in my head. And I have to like literally get into a spot where I'm like, no, I'm going to interact with this thing. Okay, let's go. Oh, the never-ending. Endless love of God. 
Oh, it chases me. It chased me. Then you start thinking, where did it chase me? I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. Yeah, you. Oh, the ever-ending love of God. And something happens in my process of me going through the motion of it. And I start off in the flesh and I end up being in the spirit. Now, for those of you who are like, that's weird, Pastor Jonathan. That's because you're spiritual and you just get it right away like my wife. She just, oh, worship God. Whereas I'm more like, what are all the problems? Who's not here? What happened? Why is this not happening? And I just have to say, snap out of it. You're becoming too familiar. You're living in your blind spot. Get into your worship zone. And here's the thing about it. Right after we do this series called Blind Spots, we're going into a series called Ghost Stories. Starting on Halloween. And during Ghost Stories, we're going to talk about the special thing that God gave you as a gift, the greatest gift ever for your vehicle. Are you ready for it? What if, what if on every curb that you're about to get into an accident, on every street corner, every intersection where you have a blind spot, there could be someone who's yelling at you, Ursel, watch out, big truck coming, turn left. What if at every juncture in relationships where you're about to enter into a relationship, you met them on Tinder, should have been using Christian Mingle, but you went to Tinder, and you wonder why you keep getting the same Tinder... What if, what if there was someone just standing there saying, red flag, he ain't no good. His profile is a lie. His profile is a lie. Like the devil. My friend Lauren's writing a book called Interview the X. Interview the X. He's going to tell you stories about his ex that are not true. Just call the ex. You can find her on Facebook. But what if you had a guide in your life that could just say, hey, this is your special blind spot. Go this way. Slow down. Pause. Go real fast. Run. That's how God helps us manage the blind spot. He gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us. You will always struggle with the same struggles. But God says, don't worry. I ain't going to leave you on your own. You're going to have a co-pilot in this life. As a matter of fact, just let him take the wheel. Are you with me? Let's all stand up. We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for allowing us to just come and be together for some minutes here, Lord, and, and hear from you. Lord, this is the beginning, but I pray that throughout this journey as we go through this series, that lives will be transformed, hearts will be changed, and people will be equipped to live in the capacity that you've called them to live in every area of their life, relationally, 
financially, physically, spiritually. Lord, we are, we are moving in a dimension right now, Lord, as a church, where we no longer live in our head and, and, and come and get information, Lord, but we're going to walk it out. We're going to walk it out. And we know that this will come to pass because your spirit will lead. Our hearts will be open. And we are ready for you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone shouts. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit relevant316.com slash give for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share through your social media, and tag us. Once again, thanks for joining us. God bless.